Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker here with a very exciting announcement. Your favorite wrestling podcast feed, The Ringer Wrestling Show, is now going daily. And you can hang out with me and Kaz on Mondays and Thursdays for The Masked Man Show. And you can join me, Peter Rosenberg, alongside stat guy Greg and Dip, every Tuesday with Cheap Heat. And on Fridays, I'll welcome a friend or special guest from the world of wrestling. And on Wednesdays, we have a very special new show called Wednesday Worldwide that you're going to want to check out. Pay-per-view reaction, one-of-a-kind interviews, fantasy booking, talking about bagels. That's what we do here on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Follow the show now on Spotify and do us a favor. Give us five stars. And do us another favor and uh, stay mage. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NFL Recap Show. The first day of Divisional Round Weekend is in the books. I'm Nora Princiati. The Chiefs and Eagles are each a win away from the Super Bowl. I'm here with Stephen Ruiz. Uh, We will get to... Chiefs, Jaguars, and the Patrick Mahomes injury first. Talk about the Eagles rolling over the Giants second. Uh, Steven, how was your Saturday of divisional round before we start? You know, both games were kind of a disappointment just because, you know, I want to see a full strength. (laughs) I want to see a full strength Mahomes (laughs) and I don't want to see a blowout in the NFC. So I feel like I'm always I'm always saying like, oh, I didn't have the best football watching experience, but I feel like I'm justified this week. Steven, has anyone told you that 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 you're ever told you that you're hard to please? Yeah, yeah, all the time. <laughs> all right. Well, let's start with uh Chiefs Jaguars. Kansas City wins this one 27 to 20. Uh the the big story here, obviously, is Patrick Mahomes uh getting rolled up on, hurting the ankle, goes out for a series or two, ends up coming back in, in this in the second half and and playing the rest of the game. Uh X-rays negative. He's going to have an MRI on Sunday. We're recording this Saturday night, obviously, uh, to get more clarity on the state of the injury. He was hobbling around there a little bit, but obviously was able to come back in and play. Uh, first of all, Stephen, just what did you think watching Mahomes go through that? And and all of a sudden you're feeling like, okay, the entire landscape of the playoffs has just changed. And then seeing him go back in there and, and kind of have to feel it around on the ankle a little bit, but end up being able to continue on in the game. It was like a roller coaster. Like he started off Mahomes like, like God like Mahomes, the best version that the I've first ever seen. Drive. Yeah. The the jump pass was ridiculous. Like was even that your to, favorite? I, I think so. The, the third and six 
already in the grasp. Like Arden Key is like got him, and he's just like, nah, it's not over. It's fine. The jump pass for me was the best one because we talk like I think we've talked a lot about like shorter quarterbacks having problems in the pocket. And then this guy is like the pocket is collapsing in on him. He has all these giant human beings around him. And he has the thought, hey, how about I jump? <laughs> how about I jump and throw the pass? And that will make that will allow me to get it over the line. Just like creativity, the the audacity to try that, everything about it. It's just I think that play like kind of encapsulates why he I think he's the best talent to ever play that position because it, yeah. it took like he had to read the defense from the pocket and then he had he was like oh there's no way for me to get this pass off unless I unless I levitate unless I literally levitate above the pass rush <laughs> and that's what he did so like it started out like that and I thought we were going to get like another Mahomes classic just like we did last divisional round and last year's playoffs against the Bills then the injury happens and when he came back initially, like, and I'm not talking about like the second time he came back before Henny even got in there before the end of the first quarter, I really didn't think that they had a chance to win with the way he was playing. Yeah. Like he couldn't push off his foot. He couldn't, couldn't scramble. If the platform wasn't perfect, he couldn't make a throw. And I, like, I thought that adrenaline would eventually kick in and he would be fine. And like, I don't even know if that really happened because he's, I've sprained my ankle plenty of times really badly. And usually when that happens, <laughs> you're able to like, eventually you're able to just like walk on it normally. And then like when you stop playing, like it just blows up for him. It seemed like a really bad injury because he was hobbling the whole game. Like he never yeah. got that adrenaline boost. You you could see it bothering him the whole well, time. And, and Mahomes already runs kind <laughs> yes. of like his joints are swollen and he can't like bend his knees normally. So it 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 is even a more drastic, like he's already kind of, he already kind of looks like that. And all of a sudden it's like, he can barely like he's hobbling around on on wooden legs, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he when he runs when he's healthy, he like looks like he has to go to the bathroom and he's like trying to hold it in. <laughs> so this penguin. didn't this didn't help. This didn't help, but it didn't matter. Like he did just enough to win. Like he won that game. It wasn't a situation where I really thought the Chiefs like offense carried him either. Like he had to make plays. He had to make plays on the move at times. Like the last touchdown pass, he was on the move and and scrambled and moved outside of the pocket and threw it in the back of the end zone. It was just an amazing performance. And like I'm running out of superlatives. I don't know how yeah. we're gonna be how are we gonna be talking about this guy in four years? He is not in his prime yet. I, I don't think I think that's the thing that like a lot of people overlook just because he's so accomplished at such a young age. He's still like two or three years from really hitting his prime. Like Brady, I'm trying to do the math in my head, 2007 was what, eight years after he was drafted? He was like 30 years old. And that was right. like a second era for Brady. Brady was not that guy the, the, over the first part of his right. career. So imagine if he gets football on that level, and I think he's on that track, and like he unlocks like another level to like it. I'm in awe of him. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just that that first drive, like, they run the option. There's the jump pass. There's that little sidearm throw. There's the just dart when he's already in the grasp. Arden Key's tackling him. It, it was among the most impressive drives that you'll ever see. And it made it feel all the more like not even just what's happening to this game, but what has happened to, you know, the defining stretch of this playoffs when he got hurt. But then to your point, like, you sort of feel like, okay, the rest of the Chiefs offense has to sort of carry him here. And, you know, Isaiah Pacheco had a had a really good and impactful game. Yeah. Um, they got 144 yards on the ground. 
in total 95 from Pacheco. And I thought he made a, a major impact and, and, you know, he had that 39 yard run on the, whatever it was, 98 yard touchdown drive, uh, that they ran when Chad Henney had to come in. And I do think that that was an impressive moment for the rest of those guys yeah, stepping yeah. up in a moment when they needed to, to carry him a little bit. But to your point, the rest of the game, like he was still the one, the rest of the office wasn't letting him down or anything, but he was still the one making things happen. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think just because obviously they still have to do more tests and we'll see and swelling has to go down and we're not doctors it's not really useful for us to do much prognosticating about what this is going to be like going forward. Obviously they will play the winner of Bill's Bengals in the AFC championship game next weekend. But is there anything else about this offense that you felt like you learned from this game or, or that was a notable takeaway going forward absent the, the context around the injury? I think it shows that this team doesn't need explosives to win. Like, they didn't really get a lot of explosive plays outside of the run game. Even Kelsey, who I think he caught 14 passes, was an NFL record for a tight end, averaged like eight eight yards per reception. And Kadarius Toney only averaged eight yards per reception. But even within that context, they were still moving the ball really well. Like, the the Jaguars really didn't have an answer for anything they were doing. And I think that just kind of speaks to the evolution of not only this offense, but Patrick Mahomes. As a whole, I talked about this on the Friday show. The game plan in the first Jaguars-Chiefs matchup during the regular season, Mike Caldwell, the Jaguars defensive coordinator who used to coach on the on the Bucks staff under Todd Bowles, who was right. on the staff when they won the Super Bowl, I thought their game plan for that game was similar to the Bucks Super Bowl game plan, where we weren't going to blitz, we're going to play too high, we're going to make you be patient, and you're going to have to beat us. And in that first game, Mahomes did that. He was like, okay, I don't care. Like, I'm a, I've evolved. I can beat this style of defense. <laughs> so then they go back to the like the unsound style of defense where they're like, it's more like a Bulls defense where you're blitzing, you're doing like fire zone blitzes, and you're playing base defense and doing all that stuff. And he just picked it apart too. And this was with him being hurt and being under duress. Like that first drive, we talked about Mahomes just being like on it. If you pause every snap at like 2.5 seconds after the ball was snapped, you'd be like, oh, the Jaguars are winning this down. They have pressure. Right. No one's open. He has nowhere to escape. And then like it's a 20 yard game. So well, but like that's one of the things that's so insane about him is that we treat pressure like it is the the end of the end of the story. Right. Like the mm-hmm. end of the play. The name of the game is to get pressure on the quarterback. That we use that as a proxy, right? Of like, if you pressure the quarterback, you're going to screw up the play. With most quarterbacks, that is a given. Even even quarterbacks who have decent mobility, right? Like, if you get pressure on them, you are right. winning the play. This The analogous impact with Mahomes, not just because he can move around, but because he's so comfortable throwing off of any type of platform because, you know, I, I wonder how much of it is like, it is the comfort with making those throws and, and his arm talent and doing that, but it's also like a sort of core strength and, and having that type of base and also just having the mental cool in those situations. The name of the game with Mahomes is you have screwed up the play when you have him on the ground. Yes. Pressure quarterback hit. Maybe probably more often than not, but it is not, it does not equate in a one-to-one sense with you've blown up the play 
And right. that is one of the most special things that, that we see a quarterback do. And, and he's he's not the only one to ever do it, but he's the best at it. And it's it's just a thing to watch. It doesn't look like this when other people do it. Like even when Josh Allen does it, it looks more like like Josh Allen makes himself look like a force of nature when he's really dominating. Like he just no it looks right. like nobody can tackle him. Looks like he could throw the ball outside of the stadium if he wanted to. With Mahomes, it just always looks so easy and so cool. And going back to my uh my first point about how Mahomes has evolved and he's able to beat these defenses that make him be patient. I think that matters a lot for the next matchup because these are two defenses that have made him try to be or they have tried to make him be that quarterback and they've had success and wins over the last two years. Like the Bills and the Bengals both beat are they both beat the Chiefs the last two years using right. that style. And I don't know if it's going to work this time around unless the ankle is really messed up and his mobility is if his mobility is, isn't there. I, I think they're going to have a hard time beating these two teams, either of them. But if it's there, I, I think Mahomes is ready for this challenge in a way that he wasn't even last year. Yeah, I mean, we'll see right with the ankle. Obviously, it's good news that he was able to go back in there he very clearly was making uh, some strong statements to coaches on the sidelines about wanting to play. So you figure if indeed the MRIs also come back negative and there's nothing structural that he will be good to go and, and be in a better place than he was coming back in. But you just never know. You never know how, how swelling works, what they find when they do more tests. So we'll have to see about that. Um, Obviously, you want to see Mahomes at full strength, right? Because when we saw it just for the the beginning portion of this game, it was pretty, pretty special. And either one of those would be really exciting and really interesting uh, for the point you just made. And you mentioned uh, moving away from the need to have a ton of explosives. Uh, Maybe we can talk about the Jags offense a little (laughs) bit. By the time Kansas City's up 20 to 10, the end of the third quarter, at that point, uh, Trevor Lawrence had 10 of 23, so 43.5% of his passing attempts, according to True Media, were at or behind the line of scrimmage. Then, when they were in a, in a bigger hole, uh, we did see him start to try to push it downfield a little bit. What do you think offensively was going on with the game plan being so horizontal? for the vast majority of of the game, especially when it was still sort of not getting out of hand. That seems to be a feature of this offense at the beginning of games, like opening script. They seem to want to get those types of plays established and put pressure on the flats of the defense. I think what they realized as the game went on in the first quarter and the second quarter is they couldn't block the Chiefs. Like that was very apparent. (laughs) They could not block them, whether it was just like one-on-one, one-on-ones they were losing or uh, Spagnolo like, breaking their protection. and They got so many free rushers. I think Doug was just like, this is the only thing that's working. This is literally the only thing that's working. It's the only way we can move the ball. We can't run the ball. We can't protect well enough for Trevor to hold on to the ball for three seconds. Like, this is the only thing that's working. So I think it was like a pragmatic decision. I don't think he went into the game thinking, I'm going to cook with bubble screens. We're going to beat Patrick Mahomes with 30 bubble screens. <laughs> uh, I think it was reactionary. And I think... I, I would... I'm not like excusing the approach because I do think it's the reason why they fell in the hole. I think you have to find other ways to protect, whether it's keeping guys in and not having five guys out in the route every play. And I think that was an issue for them early on. So uh, like, I think it was a play calling issue, but I also think it was just like a talent advantage. And then also 
yeah, he was a little slow to adjust. But I think they eventually got it right. And you saw the Jags start to move the ball. You, Spags did a great job. Spags did a great job. Yeah, it, look, but my answer to part of why I thought they were so uh, dedicated to stretching the field vert- uh, ver- horizontally instead of vertically earlier in the game was an attempt, at least, to try to make the Chiefs tackle. And yes. I don't think that's yeah. bad strategy at all, right? Mm-hmm. But to Kansas City's defense's credit, to Spags's credit, they met that challenge. They were doing just fine. Um, if anything, I mean, you know, leave the the offense because of the Mahomes injury factor aside. I was I was really impressed with Kansas City's defense in this because I I and I look some of the stats with the Jags offense are impacted, right? If um, if Kirk catches that like 55 yard bomb, right. That Lawrence throws early that ends up being, that ends up really adjusting some of the numbers here. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought that especially when they moved past that point and they were down by 10, Doug Peterson had some pretty good play calling moments in this, yeah. right? Like the first drive of the fourth quarter, I think they get, into second and 18, Derek Naughty sacks Lawrence. And then from that point, that drive was really, really impressive. They got their first explosive on that 50, uh, 37 yarder to, to Zay Jones. And then they'd run it. I was sort of laughing because they'd run all those screens and I was getting a little bit like, okay, what in the name of Matt Patricia are we doing here? But then they run the reverse to Christian Kirk. That's set up. Like it's yeah. kind of the same thing that they'd been doing. And it's a little bit of a cool, um, change up of that look and then they've right after they do the the reverse um to kirk peterson followed it up at the goal line with a little ghost motion it was like a very well like sequenced doug peterson play call they get a touchdown out of it but it just like your margin of error is so tight against kansas city even with an injured quarterback that you kind of you have to be perfect and i do think they left a little bit on the table with some of that uh, in the first few quarters. So it's it's a little bit tough. And then obviously the the turnovers started to be what let any chance of a real comeback slip away um, with the Agnew fumble and then Trevor Lawrence throwing the pick. But I, I, my point here is not that I thought Doug Peterson called a terrible game or anything. There was just it was just a mixed bag. And you sort right. of can't yeah. have that when you're when you're playing the Chiefs. Yeah, it was just two good play callers going at it. Like, I thought Spagnuolo had a great game plan. I thought the game plan, and I don't know if this was intentional, was to speed Trevor Lawrence up because they were sending a lot of, like, zone blitzes early on. And I think they were trying to get him sped up, and I think you saw him get sped up a little bit. There were some throws that I thought weren't in the best rhythm, and he was off. He missed some throws. So I think they made him uncomfortable. But like last week, I thought Trevor settled down in the second half and showed some stuff in the fourth quarter. Like, he made some throws on those last couple of drives. I know the game, it was technically, like, garbage time, but they were still in the game. And he was making some tough throws. So, like, all around, this playoff experience for the Jaguars, even though this was a game that I I feel like they probably felt like they should have won after Mahomes went out. Right. Or or got hurt. Yeah. It kind of feels like a missed opportunity. It does feel like a missed opportunity. But, like, total success. Every box was checked. Like Doug's still got the juice that he had in Philadelphia. Trevor is not going to be, you know, shaken by the big stage going up against Mahomes, going up against Herbert, going, like playing in front of that crowd in Arrowhead. And like, I don't think, totally. I think he like, 
I think he had some questionable plays, but he made some really strong throws. So, yeah, A-plus for Trevor in the playoffs, even with the four interceptions started. Jaguars offseason is going to be interesting. Uh, I guess this is sort of only... This isn't really a part of their offseason because it's the move has already been made, but just in terms of what the team constructing next year's roster. Uh, the biggest thing to me is I'm just fascinated to see what Calvin Ridley looks like in this offense, what he looks like after the time off. But if he is similar to the Calvin Ridley from 2020, um, that's going to be really exciting. That's because something. if we, yeah. And if we talk about, okay, why were things looking a little east-west instead of north-south? Uh, Calvin Ridley might change that that formula a little bit. Um, definitely some defensive needs there as well that I'm sure they'll address in free agency in, in the draft. But an, an interesting offseason there and probably uh, a relief to be going into the offseason and not have to deal with, okay, who's coming in to pick up the pieces post-Urban Meyer? Uh, how much have we how much have we screwed up Trevor Lawrence's development? I think you can really rest easy there after this season being like, okay, made it to the playoffs, won a playoff game. Lawrence looks like a great franchise quarterback. Doug Peterson is the guy, you know, there there's even with the Mahomes injury, it simultaneously does feel like a missed opportunity, but there's still, there's just no shame in losing to the chiefs. It's, you know, they're going to the AFC championship game for the fifth straight year. So it'll be cool to follow the Jags from here, but, it, this does feel different to me than even after 2017, right? Just oh, yeah. Because it's not Blake Bortles. <laughs> that was such a house of cards. Like once that defense collapsed, it was over. And like the the good thing is there aren't a lot of obvious holes on the team. But yeah, I don't there's think- just sort of like there there are some B B minus position right. groups that if you want to really contend, there are also like no A groups. So there is room for improvement, and there. Like, I think this is proof of concept that Trevor is one of those guys where you're going to be in it every year. As long as he's there, as long as you put a decent team around him, a seven out of 10 team all around, you're going to be in the playoffs. And I think we're starting to see that, you know, start to develop, especially now that he has Doug Peterson. Maybe Trevor on his own at this point wouldn't have been able to get them to this point. But with like a Super Bowl winning coach who is probably a top 10 coach in the league, maybe top five, you could probably make the argument. I think this team is going to be back. And they don't have to pay the Jaguars tax next year or next offseason when they <laughs> try to sign people. You don't got to give Christian Kirk 25 million, 20 million, whatever they gave him. The NFL playoffs are heating up, and with FanDuel, every play is a rush. New customers join today so you can bet the divisional round with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up with promo code RINGERNFL. And with $150 in free bets, I would bet on the Bills minus five and a half this Sunday over the Bengals. And you can do that on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. It has all your favorite bets from money line to point spreads to player props. Plus with FanDuel, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. FanDuel is also now live in Ohio. So make sure you get in on the action. Also with great offers just for you now and throughout January. So football fans don't miss out. 
place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose with promo code RINGERNFL. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus in select states, first online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. All right, good stuff. Uh, Shall we talk about Eagles Giants a little bit. I know this game was not particularly competitive, but it was it was still a playoff game. It still happened. It still happened. <laughs> uh, the Eagles won 38 to 7, just kind of a total beatdown. Um I, I do think this puts into a little bit of perspective for the Giants what exactly, or maybe more accurately for the Vikings, right? But uh what happened last weekend uh in the wild card. But, I mean, uh, defensively, offensively, I suppose the biggest takeaway here is that Jalen Hurts, even if he's not 100%, I mean, clearly he was making some business decisions, pulling up short on scrambles and stuff like that. But his health does not seem like something that is going to limit Philadelphia's ceiling going forward or at least that was that was my main takeaway from this game what, what do you think about that at least not in the run game and I think that was a concern for people is like he's banged up he's not going to want to run they're not going to run him and like that's a big part of their offense him being part of the run game we talked about that all year he's kind of been the key to how they play offense 
but they were running him just fine. They're running him in the fourth quarter when they're up three scores with like eight minutes left. So there was a pregame report saying he's not close to being 100%. I, I don't know like how to take those that report. Well, also the pregame report was that he said he wasn't close to 100%. And I'm a little bit like, all right, all right, Jalen. <laughs> I mean, are we splitting hairs here? Like, he seemed, what, 88%? Yeah, yeah, I don't know how he he came to the number, but it, like it doesn't seem like it's affecting his his decision making on the field. I yeah. mean, he maybe he like missed like that one deep throw to AJ Brown where he's wide open, but like it didn't seem to bother his his throws. No, either, it doesn't so. seem like it's it's affecting his arm. It doesn't seem like it's affecting him in the passing game, and it doesn't feel like it's affecting how they run their offense. Yeah. It did seem like it was affecting him a couple times on just like okay, how much contact am am I gonna put myself in? line to take but in terms of what parts of the playbook are open to them I, it didn't you know at least to my eye it was not obvious and obviously you know they kind of ran away with it so yeah it wasn't you're not pulling out all the stops but it didn't look like they were limited in, in no. any big way and i don't i don't really think we learned anything about the eagles that we didn't already know like they're super talented when lane johnson's out there like they have the best offensive line they can really just yeah run it down your throat if they want to this was similar to the week 14 game in that they ran like two run concepts and like the Giants just had no answer for it. That's what happened in week yeah. 14. They literally ran the same run run play in week 14, the last drive of the first half, like five times in a row. And the Giants had no answer for it. And like that was tonight. Jalen Hurts, I think, only threw like 25 passes. I yep. mean, he was a 24 for 154. He didn't have to. He only had to throw for 150 yards to to put up 38 yards. Like this was 38 points. This was such a dominant performance, and I don't think they had to show anything on tape. They didn't really have to like go deep into their bag of third down calls, their pass concepts. It was like a vanilla game, and I I, I think this that's like the best case scenario in the playoffs. You you save your energy. This is everyone's tired. Everyone's banged up this time of year. You're not giving stuff away. The playbook stuff. It's harder to scout you because that was just a blowout win. I. I perfect night for them all around they'll play obviously the winner of 49ers cowboys will have a ton of time uh next week to talk about whatever matchup ends up being the nfc championship game i i do think whoever they end up drawing it's not a it's nothing new to see this defense look super impressive and the defensive front be able to to get a ton of pressure um but that hit home to me watching this game. Just, you know, the the Giants offensive line was outmatched here. Yeah. Um, Hassan Reddick absolutely took over the game. And it, it just it just makes you think watching those guys play at full speed. OK, whoever it ends up being. Right. But like especially if you've got someone like Brock Purdy potentially playing an NFC championship game a spot he never imagined that he would be in. Someone who has some mobility, some ability to to evade pressure and is certainly using that as, as part of his game, at least so far that we've seen in San Francisco. But you just imagine that if they get matched up against a defensive line that can just get in his face over and over again, that's going to be a scary situation for Brock Purdy. And I wouldn't like the idea if I were him 
um, <laughs> regardless of how good that that offense can be just of dealing with these guys. I thought they, they looked really, really dominant. And then the the secondary, too. I mean, I think that was pretty predictable that after going up against the Vikings defense and the Vikings secondary, that dealing with James Bradbury, um, dealing with Darius Slay was going to be a little bit of a different situation, but they were pretty shut down of these Giants receivers. So I, I thought the defense looked very finely tuned after the bye, coming out of the bye, uh, and going into the next round of the playoffs. Yeah, and I that's why I think like game script matters so much for these teams in the NFC going up against Philadelphia. Cause if they can tee off, like you said, it's it's over. Especially when you have a bad offensive line like the Giants. Or not like a bad, but a mismatch offensive line. I'm not sure like I think we're going to see Brock Purdy have to deal with pressure against the Cowboys. But I think that Shanahan will do a better job of taking the teeth out of the pass rush. And I think like it's going to be a different environment for the Eagles defensive line. I think when you play against teams that are more limited, like the Giants, I mean, I think you can look better than you actually are. We saw this with the Giants when they played the Vikings last last week. I think that some I don't know. I don't want to like overreact to that dominant performance because it's going to be a different it's going to be a totally different game against either one of these teams they face next week. Yeah, well, and and, and the game got out of hand, right? Like the Giants' yeah. first four possessions were turnover on downs after they go for the fourth and eight, uh, interception, punt, punt. Uh, it, they were just going nowhere, right? And the game, the score, 20 to nothing by halftime. Like it, it just got out of hand. And they can't play from behind. Like they were still no. trying to run the ball in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter, and they're like one of their big plays was the Saquon run. Brian Dayball was punting like down twenty-one in the fourth quarter. It was yeah, a was really weird. weird game. That was super weird. And then the Eagles drive after that was just a field goal, but they take up eight minutes, and it's like uh, it's totally predictable, and it's the type of thing that you don't think that that you know Dayball, who again is going for fourth and eight in the first right. quarter, which yeah. I I actually. No, I yeah. didn't hate it. You need you're a double digit underdog. You need some things to go right. But if you're going to do that, you can't be punting in that situation. I thought that was a little strange. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's an over exaggeration to say that that first fourth down, like the game was already over when they didn't get that. Because like right. we said, they can't play from behind. They needed a positive game script to, to play the type of, of offense they want to play and really the type of defense they want to play. They didn't want to get in a game where Philadelphia could just grind out the ball, uh, the clock on the ground. And that's exactly right. the type of game they got into. And that's the game they got into in week 14. It's a game they kind of got into in week 18 when they weren't really playing anybody. It, I don't want to like overreact to this result because I think Brian Dayball did a great job. I, have, I still have questions about Wink Martindale. I started asking those questions last year when he was with the Ravens and didn't adjust after all those injuries. I, I don't understand how that was the game plan against this team again and how they lost in the same exact way that they lost like five weeks ago. There was no adjustment. They were playing the same fronts. They were playing the same coverages. They were. It, it was really frustrating to watch. I think Wink thought, oh, we were missing a bunch of guys. We didn't have uh, Leonard Williams. We didn't have Adoree right. Jackson. We didn't have Xavier McKinney. Now we can play like our, our normal style and we can compete this time. No, like, I think that's a naive evaluation of your own talent in comparison to what Philly has because Philly was just a better team across the board on paper at almost every position. They're the better team. So Wink Martindale and naive game plans, man, there's not a better combo in this league over the last two years. Well, so what do you, do you think they should have blitzed less? I mean, it, that, that was a pretty effective way to slow down hurts. 
during the regular season? What do you, what would you have done differently? No, I think, I think one of the problems during these matchups between these two teams is Wink didn't do enough to change the picture before and after the snap. He kind of like presented what the front was. Okay. The Eagles knew what it was and they could just run their, their run plays. They knew how to get like the, get the Giants in the right run fits and, and how to exploit them. So I think it's more of like just being more covert about it. Not necessarily like disguising coverages, but disguising your run front a little bit. Kind of move the picture and, and make, make a moving target for Nick Sirianni to hit. It was such an easy game plan. I don't even like I really don't even think they got to like the fourth page of their game plan. <laughs> they didn't have to do anything like it was so easy. The Giants literally did not stop one thing. They didn't stop the run. They didn't stop the pass like 268 rushing yards. It's the fifth highest total in a playoff game in the last 20 years. That's from our guy, Shield Kapadia. Shout out, Shield. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of over Wink Martindale. <laughs> Get a new bit. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So you, you're over Wink Martindale. That'll be something for the Giants to think long and hard about uh, going into this offseason. Did this game, obviously Daniel Jones was dealing with a lot of pressure. He got sacked five times, um, finishes 15 and 27 for 135 yards, throws the pick. He was coming off this sort of triumphant like career game against Minnesota. I don't want to take anything away from that. I thought he was genuinely very impressive there, but I think we do get very clear evidence in how this game went that the Vikings defense, which now, um, fired their coordinator was a contributing factor to the result in that game and, and how Daniel Jones looked in that game. What do you think now that we have the final word on this Daniel Jones season and the Giants will have to figure out what to do uh, going into next year? How do you look at the final picture of everything that we got out of Daniel Jones this year? It's kind of interesting because last week we got the best of Daniel Jones. This week we got the worst of Daniel Jones. And I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. It was the best of Jones. It was the worst. Of Jones. <laughs> we saw his ceiling. We saw his floor. And his floor was really ugly. But I think it just goes to show how much pressure affects quarterbacks. And like that's the number one thing. That's yeah. always going to be the number one thing. And I thought he proved this year that one, he's a useful quarterback. Like he can help your, your run game. If you protect him and you get guys open, he can make the throws for the most part. He didn't do it tonight, but he did it last week. I, I'm still of the mind that they should let him simmer a little and he'll eventually turn into something useful like or something more than useful, like a, a Ryan Tannehill's two years with the Titans when he was at like his peak when A.J. Brown was there. Yeah, I think you can get to that point. The question is, how yeah. much money is he going to want? Is there going to be a market for Dan Daniel Jones if the Giants say, hey, go test free agency and then come back if you don't find anything? That's the question. And that's a really good question. And I, I think, you know, I would never want to stand in between a player and their money if it's somewhere else, right? So if if he can get a lot more money somewhere else, he should do that. I do think that it's a great pairing of Daniel Jones with Brian Dable, someone who we've seen take a quarterback like Josh Allen, obviously, you know, different players um, who have reached different heights, but has contributed positively to the development of, of multiple uh, highly drafted quarterbacks who hadn't quite lived up to that billing early on in their careers. Uh, the money is going to be the interesting thing. Um, you mentioned Tannehill. JJ and I talked about this a little bit on the island last week, I believe. And I, I don't have those numbers in front of me. But from memory, I think if you adjust the Tannehill deal to um, like present salary cap, it would work out to 
putting or no, maybe this was the Bortles deal uh, would work out to like 23 million a year. I think it'll be more than that, but that would be like the absolute floor. Yeah, the Tannehill one was 30. I, I, I wrote about that when I wrote about Jones. It was like 30. And it was over four. It was for four years, right? So if you yeah. could do, I think that's where it's going to, like, that's going to be the sweet spot, right? Is 30-ish a year. And if you're the Giants and you could get a, I don't, I don't think you're going to have a great shot at like a two-year deal, but man, if you could, you'd feel great about it. Um, but a three-year deal or something like that. I, if I were them, I would make that. I would do it. I, I would do it. And then I would try to adjust the situation around him so that you get a very clear answer of whether or not he can turn into a quarterback who's a more effective downfield passer. Um, because right now, it, it, you know, if you give me true serum, I, I think it's I think it's him. I think Daniel Jones is, is not comfortable with a lot of those throws. I think he doesn't make them. Um, yeah. I think he often chooses not to make them when yes. they are there for him. However, with this receiving core, there is a little asterisk next to that. So change that situation. And again, not in front of me, but they had, you know, some of the lowest numbers in the league of um, deep, deep passes, like passes of over 20 air yards. Um, and I don't think that was totally for lack of opportunities, but make it so that you can't say that anymore. Make it so that it's very that, you know, one way or another. Because if Daniel Jones could add that to his game, now you, you've got something. Yeah. I'm not saying you have Patrick Mahomes, but you've really got something. Like, that is the, that is the missing piece. I mean, like, Jalen Hurts has evolved past this, but, like, even last year, Jalen Hurts was a, a, a decent to good quarterback just based on his running ability and ability to throw deep. Like, he didn't even target the middle of the field. He didn't have to because he was good at those two things. If he can do those two things... And that's like the baseline of what you're contributing. Like, yeah, anything else is just like extra on top. I, I agree with you, but you brought up the Jaguars. And I think the Jaguars negotiation with Blake Bortles is like a good cautionary tale for this team. Because right. the Jaguars didn't play hardball with Blake Bortles. No one else was going to give Blake Bortles that deal. Right. No other team was in the market for Blake Bortles. And they paid him like $18 million a year over three years or per year for three years. I think that if if you're the Giants, let J Daniel Jones walk if he wants to. I have not overpaying Daniel Jones. There is no reason to overpay Daniel Jones. He has no yeah. leverage. I don't think there's going to be a huge market. He knows that he just had his best year with Brian Dayball. I don't think he wants to move on from to a different system. I think he feels comfortable there. I'm playing hardball with him. I have all the leverage, and I'm just like, if you want to walk, if someone's going to pay you $30 million, we'll let them pay you $30 million. I'm not budging off of 25. And I think that's like you a wouldn't good deal budge off of twenty. I, I think you're going to have to go a little bit higher than that. But but in general, I agree with you. I think like coming to the table at first, yes. I think if he goes to the market, I don't know if he gets thirty. Like who's paying him thirty? I can't think of one team that would pay that much. Maybe the Jets. <laughs> he wouldn't even have to move. Stay in New yeah. Jersey or wherever he lives. I imagine he lives in New Jersey. We'll see. I would be. I think I look it's a lot of there's a lot of quarterbacks who are not that great earning 30 million dollars a year. Uh, I've it, at some point it's just the cost of the position. I don't know. And I'm not saying first offers, right? Because then you end up somewhere higher than that. But if I were the if I were the Giants and it were a short term deal, 
that number doesn't scare me that much because you you know that you're going to be decent. Now, I do think that that has to come coupled with the philosophy of we're going to keep our eyes peeled and okay, yeah, maybe we're committing some real money to the quarterback position, but not for that long. And we see more and more that teams are able to get around this because the worst thing that they can do is say, okay, we're going all in. Daniel Jones is the guy and he's our franchise quarterback. He's the next 10 years of the New York Giants. Great. Done. Quarterback. Check. And then if it doesn't work out, he doesn't develop as a downfield passer. You backslide a little bit. You're not going to be bad enough to get a high pick. So then all of a sudden you're stuck in the middle, which we've got a pretty decent swath of evidence is is one of the worst places to be as an NFL team. So I, I would if I were if I were a member of the Giants front office, I would feel pretty good about committing something to Daniel Jones. But I would want to have a good take a good long look in the mirror and go. I'm not we're not set for life here and yes. we, we shouldn't start acting like it. It feels like a new trend where like when whenever we see one of these like young and up and coming teams that have a lot of talent around the quarterback position, but the quarterback is a little questionable. It's like, oh, maybe we should just drop him and trade for a star quarterback. I feel like that's become a new thing. I don't think the Giants are in position to even do that. Like even if yeah. you put Aaron well, Rodgers on the Giants, well, how many games does this team win? Like 10? Yeah. I mean, I was gonna. The next thing I was gonna say, which is something that you have said, is I would say before giving, you know, before giving Daniel Jones three years and a hundred million dollars, call the Ravens, just call, yes. just just dial them up, just make sure, you know, leave no stone unturned. I think every team should call them, even the Chiefs. Call them. Can you imagine Andy Reid with Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson? Wow, be pretty good. That's like unfair. There would have to there would be a rules change. The competition committee would have to get involved in, in some way, shape, or form. That's like that's a monopoly. Yes. I want I want one team to try to acquire two good quarterbacks and not because they want to play the two quarterbacks, just so someone else doesn't get the yeah, other just good to quarterback. Just like Bill the quarterbacks. <laughs> All right. Uh that's a great idea. I don't know if this podcast is getting any better than one team should hoard all the quarterbacks. Uh, we've got two more great games, hopefully, tomorrow, and we'll be covering those with Benjamin Solak. Anything else from this Saturday of, of Divisional Weekend, Stephen, before we go? Uh, no, I, I will say this. I, I opened up the show saying I was kind of disappointed in the football. I was very happy with the results because we are guaranteed two good conference championship games no matter what happens tomorrow. Agreed. Agreed. Basically, what I'm saying is I didn't want the Jaguars and Giants to advance. Enough. I had enough. We've seen enough. Ball, don't lie. All right. This has been the Ringer NFL divisional round recap show. I'm Narpensiati. He's Steven Ruiz. Thank you so much to Eduardo Ocampo for production on this episode and to Arjuna Ramgopal for additional production supervision. We will be back tomorrow, uh, like I said, with Benjamin Solak following up on the rest of the divisional games. <laughs>